Welcome to the As One Leadership Podcast. My name's Luke and I'll be your host today. And today we've got a special guest. It's Pastor Graham Can. Hello, Graham, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Luke. It's good to be with you. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know how to really introduce Graham. There's so many things you could say, but I know that he's a husband and I know that he's a dad, a granddad, a great-granddad. So four, mm. four great-grandchildren now. He's also been a pastor for many years, a counsellor, an author, and a mentor to many people. So um, he's written some great books over the time as well with some really um, you know, important subjects to, to explore, things like abuse and guilt and fear, and most recently on conflict. Yes. And I think today we're going to, you know, all those issues are really relevant. We're going to hone in today on the conflict one. Um, and so the book you've got there in front of you is called Confronting Conflict. Yes. And I have read the whole thing recently, and I've got to say, I'm not just saying it because you're in the room, mm. I actually think it's... It's a book that every pastor should have. Um, so helpful. Um, and yeah, it's just great um, tips on how to actually confront conflict and to deal with it well. Mm. Um, and I think I found in my own life, when you can do conflict, if you do it poorly, it causes a lot of damage. If you can do it well, there's a real blessing that can be found in it. So right. I think we'll unpack some of that today. So obviously conflict has been an ever-increasing uh, and ever-present reality in the world. You know, we've always had world wars and you look at back at biblical times and there was conflict amongst people there. Uh, but it seems to be, for me, I reckon in the last couple of years in my lifetime, and you've lived a fair bit longer than I have, but in my lifetime, I can't remember of a more polarizing time uh, in our world, in our society. Um, and so I think reading the book was really helpful because of that. But I, I guess I want to start by asking you if you've noticed an increase in conflict in the last couple of years, particularly since COVID happened, and is that one of the things that prompted you to write the book? Yes, in, in, in a sense it was. Um, I was aware that um, many leaders, many pastors were talking about the impact of conflict on their churches uh, during COVID. Uh, I saw the conflict happening in my own family. I saw members of our family who were pro-vax and anti-vax and so on and, and noticed that there was a, a um, a tendency not to listen to other people's points of view, mm. um, but to listen to your favourite uh, favourite podcaster, <laughs> and, <laughs> yep. and uh, decide that he he or she was God, and you follow what they said. So yes, there were people who left churches. There were leaders who left churches. There were pastors who resigned during during COVID, and most of it had to do with exhaustion, mm -hmm. and that exhaustion, exhaustion was related to the constancy of conflict. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've seen that as well, and I can certainly relate to that, mm. leading a church. Yeah. You see all that sort of stuff happening in front of your eyes, and it's really difficult to to comprehend and mm. to cope with. Yeah. Um, and so one thing I love about the book is there's so many sort of keys in there to unlock how we actually deal with conflict well. But like you said a moment ago, I think you know often there's been times of conflict in your life, and there are people sort of a bit further out. Mm. But with COVID particularly, it's even come into the household where you've got, you know, husband or wife or, you know, close relatives agreeing or disagreeing on, on all these sorts of things. And so it's become a really painful thing because it's been with people so close. And the presence of fear in all of that, mm. you know, the, the fear that associated uh, a pan with a, a pandemic, mm. um, the fear that I might get sick, the fear that family members might die. That drove the intensity of the conflict very largely, I think. Yeah. Usually if you are having a theological uh, problem in a church, um, there is emotion related to it, but it's it's more anger. 
Mm. It's more about um, defending a position. Mm. But this was very fear-related. And every time you switch on the television, the fear increased and yeah. you heard the figures and the, the numbers and so on. Yeah, yeah, what are the cases today? And yeah. I got to the point where I just turned the news off. I just found it um, a little overwhelming and just a, a bit gloomy mm. every day to mm. be thinking, how many cases is it today? What's the lockdown going to mm. be? And um, yeah, I, I just felt like ignorance was bliss there for a while. <laughs> Turn it off and it's not happening, but it's probably not a great way to, to respond. And that probably takes me to the next question I had when I was thinking about this. What are some of the common responses that that you see people display when confronting conflict and what impact can those responses have? Right. You may have noticed uh, when you read the book that we made a, a, a fair bit of the way we respond to threat. Mm. Um, and we talked about the amygdala in the brain and that's our smoke detector system, if you like, and whenever anything um, appears to threaten us, threaten our security, our significance, our sexuality, any of the things that are important to us, spirituality, the the smoke alarm goes off and says, this is danger. Mm. And and when, when that happens, your emotional response becomes the primary response. And the amygdala actually slows down the thinking processes. Mm. So if, for instance, you walked out of here and came face-to-face with a man-eating tiger, um, your amygdala would uh, would say you're in danger, the fear would take over, and you would run the distance between the tiger and here faster than Superman had ever dreamt about. (laughs) And... uh, and that's bec- and you wouldn't have thought about it. It mm. would have just been an initial response. That that is what happens with uh, with conflict. That's where conflict comes from. Mm. Because now, instead of me listening to you in a rational way and listening to your rational ideas and interacting with them, I'm responding out of fear or anxiety or anger, and and my emotions are driving. My response. Yeah, that's what happens in conflict. I've, I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, often. absolutely. Yeah, I think the smoke alarm example is great because when a smoke alarm's going off, you know, you're not thinking about rational stuff. No. You just want to do whatever you can to stop that. And it's a little bit like that with our emotions. You're not mm. thinking rationally, but you just you're sort of responding to what's going on. So that's not always helpful. So some of those responses you see, um, so they'd be things like outbursts or um, withdrawal. Yes. Yeah. In in the area of uh, anxiety or anger, you will you'll get either aggression or total withdrawal, mm. um, depending on the personality. Yeah. And sometimes you they will move into a person will move into a controlling mode because over control is a defence mechanism. Of, Against getting hurt, mm. and um, and that is also that can look pleasant. You know, a person can be still speaking quite pleasantly, but they can be taking control and locking out any other rational sort of uh, suggestion or idea around what they're afraid of. Yeah. Mm. Well, if you lose control, there's that panic that I can't actually control what's going on now. So when That's you right. gain control back, yes, you know, you might feel like there's a measure of safety to that, yeah. but it's not always a helpful yeah. response to yeah. conflict, is it? So you know, when you when I observe conflict amongst, you know, in my own life and with people I see, mm. you know, in church setting and other settings, there's an unpredictability to how people are going to respond. So you see all these different variants or variances of responses to, to conflict. So 
Um, how much do you think past experience shapes that, your, your upbringing and your experiences, and, and how much of that is learned and how much of that is how we're wired, do you think? Right. I, I talk in the book about a, a lot of conflict coming out of woundedness, mm. and I make the comment that the church is not only made up of wounded people, it's usually led by wounded leaders. Mm. All, all of us come through life with things that have impacted us in some way or another. So it might have been bullying at school, or in, in my case, it was uh, sexual abuse as a child. Uh, it, it could be almost any experience you can think of, a broken marriage, uh, uh, father issues, mother issues, and um, and those things are now the wounds that I carry in my life if I haven't resolved them. Mm. And then I develop a series of defense mechanisms and coping mechanisms around those woundednesses mm. so that anything that triggers off one of those defense, anything similar to that will trigger that off. Mm. So, so uh, for instance, I, I may sense somebody is rejecting me or I might sense that somebody's trying to control me or I might sense that somebody is manipulating me and that triggers into my past experience mm. and it triggers off all these defense mechanisms. Yeah. And so past woundedness and past experience is a huge thing. That's why I think you and I have talked before about really the importance of us all having mentors. Mm. Uh, you know, I've been in ministry over 60 years and I would not be doing this today without a mentor. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I need somebody who challenges me about the way I respond to something mm. and, and helps me identify what is it of the past things that I need to resolve still. Mm. What are what are the healings that need to still need to take place in my life? You know, and how much are those um, impacting my leadership style or my ministry style or my relationship style? Um, they're just important things, and, and my experience is that you uh, it's a whole life, whole of life journey. You know, you, you're learning all the time yeah. and experiencing uh, levels of healing that you you would have liked to have experienced when you were 30, but you didn't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think um, the way you respond is often shaped by your past experiences. I, I remember my dad, mum and dad, when they were early in their marriage, they went to this sort of marriage retreat and this particular retreat, the people who ran it, they put a lot of pressure on the couples to try and work out why were they having issues. Yeah. And uh, they... they Worked out with dad. They took it all the way back to when he was three and a comment his dad had made about something. It was just like his dad would have thought it was an off-the-cuff sort of yes, comment, yes. but it had this huge impact on dad and he'd carried that all his life and now it was actually coming out in aspects of the marriage. Yes. And, yeah, he was just blown away that that one comment, that he could even remember it because he was so young, yeah. but the impact that it had over years and the way that it kind of snowballed to become a problem within a marriage. And I think we've all got to be aware of that. So... Um, I think mentors are really helpful in that regard, like you said, and it takes a, um, I guess, a measure of humility to have a mentor and particularly someone who's going to give it to you between the eyes sometimes and say, hey, you need to wake up to yourself or, hey, this is a recurring issue in your life or whatever. And so, um, yeah, to find that person that you look up to with the wisdom needed, but also to approach that with humility, I would yeah. say, be two of the big steps. It needs to be a a real mentor. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend of mine who's been a friend for over 50 years and uh, he said to me, I always tell people, you're my mentor. Right. 
So, well, I haven't heard from you for five years. So <laughs> yeah. how do, how's that work? Yep. Um, I think a mentor is someone you see once a month at least. Yeah. 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 No, that's yeah. good. So it's the consistency. And I guess when they're seeing you that regularly, they get to know you and they see those recurring patterns right. and they're hearing what's on your heart. And yeah. and so if you see someone once every five years, it's hard to speak into their life, right. isn't it, with any sort of accuracy? And I think we need to change our mentors every three years or so. Yeah, okay. Uh, because... Hopefully in that three years you've grown mm. and you've begun to think of other things you want to work on, whether they be professional skills development or whether they be working on other issues in your life. And so you choose somebody who can take you that, that next step. Mm. So once upon a time, all my mentors were older than me. Uh, now there's nobody older than me. So. <laughs> That's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> so, but, but now they're, they're chosen because because – I'm interested in going in a particular direction and they've already been there and mm. they can help me with that. Yeah, mm. uh, for sure. You want some people that have been there before yeah. and hopefully you learn from their mistakes rather than <laughs> your own. But sometimes when you're talking to the mentor, you're debriefing your own mistakes as yeah. well. So it's really helpful. So obviously leadership um, is perhaps harder than it's ever been before for me, I think, um, and I think for a lot of leaders at the moment. Um, yes. We're in a season where there's – so much unpredictability and so much stuff that we haven't seen before. So we don't really have a manual or a handbook to say this is how you work your way through it. So leaders, I think, are, are probably facing more conflict than ever before yeah. over a range of different things. Um, it's true for both experienced and younger leaders. So what are some things they can put in place to help them navigate conflict well, do you think? Well, I think we've touched the first one. I think we, we need to be attending to our own um, emotional, mental and spiritual health. Mm. I think the other thing is we, we need to remind ourselves that we are really um, Christ's assistants when it comes to leadership, mm. where he is the head of the church. And I think sometimes we take ministry roles and leadership roles, we take them a bit too seriously. Yep. And, and we get so busy that we don't get time to listen to the boss, mm. right? Yep. And And – we're not hearing what he's saying to us. We are we are looking at models around us. We're reading the latest books on leadership. We're going to seminars, and none of that's bad. But if it takes away the time to really be connecting with 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 Jesus, the head of the church, mm. th then I think that's a problem. And and then of course we we um, we repeat that in the corporate leadership situation where we meet with our board or our elders or whatever, again, we, we don't have time to listen to the chairman of the board. Yeah, yeah we, yep. we're, we're, we're listening to our own ideas and so on. So I think it's um, about reorganizing the way we do leadership in terms of not just acknowledging that Jesus is the head of the church, but functioning as if he is the head of the church yeah, yep. and hearing what he's saying. And I've been writing recently in book number five, yeah, um, wow. been writing about uh, about this and, and how important it is to be, to see ourselves as an organism, as a body, rather than as an organization trying to pattern ourselves on the way secular organizations work. Mm. In actual fact, secular organizations work better in relation to conflict than the church often does. Yeah. Sure. And and that's because we've we've lost our uniqueness in terms of saying, hey, we are a body. We need to be preaching that we are a body. We need to be 
talking about corporate spirituality instead of individual spirituality. Mm. You know how often you go to church and you hear the preacher hammering away at something we as individuals are not doing or should be doing or whatever, mm. but but not as much about how we should be functioning together mm. and, and how we recognize each other's gifts and affirm each other as part as body parts yep. of the body. So all those things I think are important, the way, the way I spend my time, the way I lead my team, um, the, the, the way we preach about the church, all those things are important. I, I think the other important thing is, um, is to build meaningful relationships. Mm. Um, pastors and leaders um, often are bereft of really good friendships, good mm. relationships. And uh, I came to a point in my life, I think I was probably 50, and, uh, and I realized that I didn't have one male friend who I could go to if I was in, in, a, in a difficult situation other than my mentor. Yeah, wow. And, and I realized that all my relationships were, were, go were good, but they were, they were professional or they were, with, or they were church-based, which is nothing wrong with that. But I didn't have that intimate, those intimate relationships. I mm. didn't play golf regularly or do the things that people do to do that. And um, it was about that time I had a, a burnout experience and my, my doctor and counselor at the time urged me to go back and, and take up a hobby that I'd done all my life uh, as a young person and, and, and to do it corporately with people and develop relationships around that. Mm. So I went back to horse breaking. Yeah, wow. Okay. Uh, yep. And, uh, and I, I began to go to the, the horse sales at Dandenong and then Pakenham and, and, uh, and meeting with people and developing relationships with people. So there's some of my best friends now mm. uh, horse-based people rather than connected to any other part of my life. Yeah, wow. And, and I think we, we need to deliberately develop that. Mm. And that does take time and intentionality, doesn't it? You can't just have, you can't have intimate friendships. I remember someone saying to me once that how long does it take to make a five-minute friend? Mm. Five minutes. How long does it take to make a two-year friend? Two years. <laughs> ten years. Ten, you know, and, yeah. and it's time invested over time, you know, and uh, something I've really worked on the last few years, I've got, you know, probably five really close mates now that, that I know that they can come to me at any time and I can go to them when things are good, when things are difficult, and, yeah, you just feel like you're not alone. Yeah. Um, you still feel lonely at times, but yeah. you know that the reality is you've got people around you that can help you. So It's a really important word, intentionality. Mm. Uh, we, we have to have intentional spirituality, intent, attention, intentional emotional health, mm. intentional mental health, intentional relationships. Everything has to be deliberately mm. built into our lives. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you you can have good intentions, um, <laughs> but if you don't actually schedule them in and make those times a priority, they just never happen, do they? They just stay as good intentions. That's so right. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. So another important word, starting with I, that you mentioned a moment ago, is individualism. Mm. Um, and obviously, I think our world's become a lot more individualized in recent decades and perhaps during COVID even more so being isolated and in your homes and by yourself and watching YouTube and whatever you were doing, mm. it's become very individual and it sort of seeps into the church a little bit. How do you think individualism um, sort of feeds into conflict? Oh, I, I think because, um, because we become eye centered rather than other centered. Mm. 
and that impacts the way we listen to other point other people's points of view. Yeah. So if I if you're putting a point of view and I am I centered, I'm going to be looking for the weaknesses in that point of view. I'm going to be looking for for the evil behind what you're saying uh, and how it's going to affect me negatively mm. and I'm going to be preparing my defence and, and um, thinking out of that sort of setting. Yep. Whereas if I'm other-centred, I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking about what, what are the, the emotional and experiential things behind this argument uh, uh, what are the strengths of what you're saying? Uh, what are some of the things that I can learn out of that? What what can I put into your life out of this discussion that might be helpful to you? So it becomes a much different sort of a discussion. Mm. So the individuality we're seeing in society today is really is really eye centered mm. uh, rather than other centered. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I found that really helpful in the book and. Mm particularly that preparing the defence when someone's saying something to you and you're a bit riled up and, you know, you, you've put the listening on the back burner and mm. you're thinking, oh, you're listening for those little things. Ah, oh, yeah, that's what I'll come back on. So I think we can probably all relate to that at times and I think we're all probably guilty of it at times as well. So a good thing to, to learn to listen. So I have noticed in times of conflict that one of the first things we stop doing is listening. Um, we often want to get our point across, so we do a lot of talking. But empathetic listening is something you talk about in the book. So what does that look like and could you give us an example? Good. Hey, we could role play it or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, empathic listening, the, the simple definition or, or the common definition is it's, it's just listening for feelings instead of facts, but it's a lot deeper than that. Mm. It, it, the first thing we do, we do, if we're going to listen empathically, the first thing that we have to do is we, we have to connect with the person. So um, I don't know. I'm sure you've had the experience of talking to somebody and their eyes are wandering around the room or they cut you off halfway through because they've got something they want to say. Yep. Um, it takes it takes a certain amount of energy to to plug into a person in a way they know they're being listened to. Mm. So, you know, the obvious things like eye contact and so on are important, but other things like asking the, the sort of question that, takes them deeper into that subject, mm. not away from their subject, yep. um, or doesn't change the topic, but but takes them deeper into the topic. Yep. That's that's very important. Um, I, I love it. I, I love listening to somebody when they're telling me about something that's really important to them, and and then and then getting them to to work harder on telling me how it's impacting them. Mm. You know, what what are the feelings or how has it impacted your your work life, your relationship life, and just getting them to to um, to explore that more deeply? Mm. When you finish listening to somebody like that, they go away knowing they've been listened to, mm. and and the wonderful thing about that is that being listened to is the best type of affirmation. Mm. So I've affirmed you because I've listened to you, or yep. you've affirmed me because you've listened empathically. Yep. Um, the other thing about empathy is um, is not just to listen with uh, in a rational sense, but to allow yourself to listen emotionally as well. Mm. So, so I used to when I first started doing that or trying to do that, I, I was quite anxious about f being made to feel a certain way by something somebody else was saying. Mm. And and but I'm not now. 
Now, I can listen to a person, they can make me feel very sad. Mm. But as long as I st stay objective in that sadness and remember it's, it, it's your sadness, not mine, mm. uh, I'm feeling it, which is probably a good thing, but it's your sadness and I need to help you work through that sadness. Yeah, right. That is really empathic listening. Yep. And I think yeah, it's really true what you say. When someone listens to you and they're making eye contact, you can tell they're listening and they're asking you questions. You do come away feeling valued, yeah. but the opposite's true too, isn't yeah. it? When yeah. people are, you know, oh, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. You don't feel like they even care. Or I had a situation like that recently where someone asked me how it was going and I mentioned a, a tragic situation that happened, you know, to a good friend of mine recently. And they said, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had something like that happen years ago. And they didn't even ask any more about it. Mm. And you could just, you just felt like they don't care. Yeah. And they just asked a token question, but they don't really care what the answer is. It's just a springboard yeah. for them to tell you about. Yes. what they're doing and yeah you don't really feel valued or or like you even necessarily want to catch up with them again to be yeah. honest so and the bad thing particularly amongst uh, pastors the, the the bad thing is that we've turned poor listening into a personality type mm. and so a person says well I'm not really a people person mm. I, I think that's garbage yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I think we're all made and built for relationship mm. but we have decided how deeply we want to go into that. We, out of our past experiences and so on, we have built certain walls and limits around us. And so now some people are, you would describe as not being a people person at all. Mm. And, but that, that, that's a problem. That's a, that's a, um, what would you say? That's a problem, not a personality type. Yeah. And yep. I don't know how many, uh, lectures you got in theological college on self-awareness and not many. listening <laughs> skills and so on. But but we need a lot more of that. Yeah. Because we need to discover why we are the way we are. And if we're representatives of Jesus Christ and we're not people persons, there's something uh, going to be missing in our ministry and we've got to do do something about that. Yeah, I think self-awareness is a really important one. And I think it's something that I've been really working on the last, you know, five or so years. Um, what are you? What are some tips you'd give people who maybe aren't self-aware, but they're wanting to be more self-aware? What are some tips you'd give them to help them become more self-aware? Good. The um, my journey was uh, I I spent many many years still internalizing all the pain out of my past, and I was in ministry, and you know, I had this there was two Graham cans really. Yeah, there was the internal one and the external one, and uh, and. We went to a counselling course, and uh, in America, in America, called the Narrowmore Foundation, and I was astounded at how much of the course was based on self awareness, mm. and I was a little bit upset with it at first, but then I, it brought about my own healing, so it was a very important thing. And then when we came back to Australia, we we're at Elkanah at the time in Marysville, we started to develop these courses, mm. and we had ministers. 30 or 40 ministers every year would come for three weeks mm, wow. and live with us and we would bring at least one speaker from America and then we'd uh, uh, different ones of us would lecture too. And and it was all the same as the Narrowmore course pretty much mm. and we found pastors, we had pastors come saying, if this doesn't work, I'll probably be resigning from the ministry. Yeah, they right. were that far down. Yeah. And, and yet it wasn't about learning how to do ministry better it was about learning to know themselves better mm. and, and to learn to know what the growth areas needed to be. 
and they would often go back quite excited that they'd made that discovery. So I think it's exposing yourself uh, to appropriate training and courses. Mm. Um, some pastors are still a little bit uh, suspicious of psychologists and psychology. I, I don't think we need to be suspicious. We don't have to believe everything everybody says. Mm. But but there are a lot of there is a lot of knowledge about mental and emotional health that um, that is taught in other places other other than theolo- theological colleges mm. and, and and no my axiom is uh, all truth is God's truth so yep. so if there's some truth to be found in a psychological or emotional understanding then let's hear it and let's use it yeah, so I think it's exposing ourselves yep. reading the right sorts of books like um, the healthy healthy churches uh, um, Forget the name of the guy. It's Pete Cesaro, is it? Yes. Yep. Cesaro. Yep. Um, books by by him and others are, are really helpful mm. in that area, and uh, and I think also um, uh, belonging to support groups of ministers or like minded people who hold you accountable. Mm. I belong have belonged for many years to um, an organisation called John Mark's Ministries. Um, ministry retreats and uh, that's been a huge thing um, for me going to a retreat once a year and catch up days three or four times a year Mm. and telling your story and being accountable to a group of guys uh, or in in the case of women ministries, a group of women uh, holding holding them accountable for their growth. Mm. Um, That's the accountability thing is really important. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So accountability, exposing yourself to courses, mentors. Um, what about just evaluating when something goes wrong in your life or there's been a conflict um, and it might be a reoccurring thing? Hmm. Um, sometimes it's good to sit down and go, okay, so this has happened again. Why has it happened? Hmm. And what have I done in the midst of that to contribute to it? And perhaps what could I do differently? Is that something you think would encourage people to do by themselves or was that something you'd explore with a mentor? Or You, you can do some of that on your own um, or with your wife or... Um, <laughs> we get the honest answer with your wife, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> um, But But I, I do think that um, having some professional help in that is important. One of the things you can do today is you can download any one of a number of really good um, assessment tools. Mm. On online, like the the PDF or or the Edwards personal preference yeah. schedule or any one of those, and and you can do them. You can score them, and then you get guidance on what they're saying. Mm. So, doing that might pinpoint something that you might think I need to go and uh, see somebody about this, or I yeah. need to talk to somebody about it. Christian counselling can be helpful. Yeah. Um, uh, today we have Christian councils all over all over the the shop and available to do work like that. So, yeah, there is all sorts of ways. Yeah, wonderful. Well, there's so much great advice here, and, and I don't think we're going to cover it all in this one podcast. So we'll do another episode. So we might finish this one up now because I think there's just some great stuff. I think people listening will be going, wow, there's some good stuff, but there's so much more that you can share. So we might unpack that in the next episode. Um, but really great having you in here. Really appreciate your time, mm. and we'll look forward to the next episode. So that's it for this episode. We're going to do part B on confronting conflict. Um, Graham's got the book there. 
Here it is. It looks like this. And so where can people get hold of this, Graeme, if they uh, want to grab it? Just go into my website, grahamcan.com, okay. and uh, you'll find Bookshop there and all my books are on there. Yeah, and like I said, it's just a, it's a wonderful book. If you're in ministry, if you're in leadership of any type, I think it's one of those books you just got to grab, have it on the bookshelf, and it's just really helpful to go back to. Thank you so much for tuning into the As One Leadership Podcast. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at As One Leadership Podcast. You can go on there, subscribe, give us a like, leave a comment, or you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts or on anywhere you consume your podcasts. Um, please share it with other people if you think these topics would be helpful. That's the whole reason we do it, to give helpful content to help people grow in their leadership. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.